This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Dory 1, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to the Military Veteran Dad, episode 35. Before we get started with this week's episode, I just want to take a moment to remember Gunnery Sergeant Scott A. Copenhaver. He was 35, and just last week he's lost his life in Iraq. He left behind his two kids and his wife, and those kids no longer get to hug dad, and he never gets to know what his kids look like when they grow up. And I want to take that moment to just pause dads and think about what they gave us when they don't come home that they give us a gift to come home every day to hug and love our kids and to be impactful in their life in a way that creates a legacy that we don't even understand. That is what being a dad is about. It's what this podcast is about. It's what the purpose of this podcast is about. It's the purpose of our mission. It's why we have a Facebook group where we do life together because every dad at every stage of the life always has something holding them back. And it is the mission of this podcast to help work through those things and become the dad we want to be tomorrow. And the link for that Facebook group is in the show notes. I'm blogging daily in there about what's going on in my life, lessons I've learned, what things I'm struggling with in life, because even being the host of this podcast, I still have three kids and I'm 34 going on 35 next month. And I'm still trying to figure out how to be 35. And there's things that I'm struggling with, just like there's things that you're struggling with. So without further ado, let's get started with Rich Cardona because this episode was an amazing conversation and we go all over the place, all the areas of dadhood, and I know you're going to love it. Today's guest is a retired Marine Corps aviator who tried the traditional job route after serving his country. While successful, Rich was unfulfilled and knew he was destined for something more. He decided to leave the workforce and have recorded conversations with C-suite executives and influencers. This gave him the ability to satisfy his desire of continuously enhancing his leadership skills while others sharing these lessons with others. He soon realized that there were so many other passionate leaders out in the world who knew a social media video strategy was needed, but did not have the bandwidth to develop and execute on it. Those who succeed understand that it takes significant effort, consistency, and faith. Rich now resides in the D.C. area with his wife, Anne, and his two-year-old daughter, Alessandra. Rich Cardona, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm uh, very, very excited to be here. You sound pumped to be here. I'm ready to, to tell your story. All right. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to deliver and uh, to just let you know what it's like to be a veteran father. Awesome. Go ahead and add a little bit what your family life looks right now and any gaps of that intro that you want to fill in for us. Yeah. Um, family life. And I 
purposely did not mention this to you before we started recording. Uh, I'm expecting baby number two. That is what's happening right now in my family. Wow. Um, my, Fresh yeah, off the press. I'm super excited. Uh, my wife's about 17 weeks. Um, and this is uh, interesting because we, we are choosing not to find out the gender. I thought I could do that the first time around. And when we started doing registry stuff and we're at Bye Bye Baby, I'm like, there's no way I'm getting green and yellow and gray everything. This is ridiculous. So I gave up like instantaneously. And, uh, you know, you know, Marines, man, we're, we're very much planners. So I gave up. But this time around, I'm like, I can do it. And uh, the reason is my sister is my sister encouraged me. She's like, there's not enough surprises in life anymore. Um, you know, you know, you're going to be happy with whatever you get. And I was like, okay. And then the logical side of me said, well, there's a 50% chance I have all the stuff he or she, you know, that baby has, or I have the stuff they need already. Uh, and if not, then, you know, you ha you know how it is, man. It's just onesies in the beginning anyway. So who cares? Yeah. Once you get past the cutesy stage of the first child where you want to dress them up and you want to buy everything that Target has on sale. <laughs> Second one, I think there still is that newness. By the third one, you're just kind of like put something on them and hope it stays clean for an hour. <laughs> exactly. So, um, but that and then um, family life is is very good, man. Uh, it's 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 challenging as an entrepreneur, but it's it's good at the same time. I actually am spending more time with my family than than ever before, and and that's extremely positive for me. It it really helps me to be productive and efficient and, and motivated just, just to know that I'm kind of blessed with this opportunity to have my own business and, and create the type of lifestyle that I want, which is to make sure I have a good relationship with my daughter and then my future child number two. To make you more excited for finding out the gender at the end, we found out for the first two because my wife was a planner and she didn't know, but we had a boy and a girl. So we had one of everything. So literally there's no anything reason to for the third one whatever it is we're ready <laughs> yeah and i didn't realize it but when you find out in the ultrasound you have an emotional experience with that and then when the baby is born you have an emotional experience but when you combine sure. them the emotion of finding out and the birth of your child at the same time i cried and so i didn't cry for the first two but that third yeah. one was overwhelming so you, we're actually uh, robbing ourselves of an emotion or an explosion almost of overwhelmingly feeling of joy and love for your wife and love for your new child because it's all combined into the same experience. And yeah. I never would have known that until I put my head on uh, looking backwards and saw that by separating those two, you are gaining an advantage, but at the same time, a memory is not as strengthful or as, as powerful as it could be. Because I, I still remember those first 30 seconds looking at my wife, looking at her child, knowing it's a girl, looking at my wife and like that moment of love and joy like that's yeah. and i don't have that same feeling with the other two not like they were any less but my first one was an ultrasound or uh, a c-section but the second yeah. one was natural and yep. they was it was my son so i think i would have had more but i knew it was already a boy so i didn't really put it all together till the third yeah. one so Got you, you have to fill me in if that's true for you i absolutely will i absolutely will so yeah uh look I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the surprise What's uh, what you didn't go out to, to when you were, became an entrepreneur, uh, strengthening your fatherhood or father relationship with your daughter wasn't something you probably sought out initially, was it? It was more like a bonus that you realized. So this is, this is my story. This is, this is everything right now. What I'm about to say. Um, and, and 
you know, I'm not sure if this is the direction you wanted to go, but I'm going there. We'll go there, man. All right. I, I, I got out of the Marine Corps after 17 years. I, I, I did the Terra and I had a full retirement. I was very happy with it. Um, I had a sneaking suspicion that, you know, those orders were going to come up like, hey, have we got a deal for you? You know, like, uh, I, I mean, you know, I had been in Cali for, you know, five years. And frankly, uh, you know, it was just, it just felt like the right time. So I pulled the trigger so I could stay in Cali. I went to USC to get my MBA. And, and this is separate, but very important. I, I really didn't need the MBA looking back. Like I, I really was fearful that I was not going to be marketable. Um, but you know, I went, I went ahead and did it after I got the MBA, I got a job at Amazon, went to Amazon and I worked there for two years. Uh, but, uh, the very first day of training, I knew I was in the wrong place. I was like, Oh, Oh, Oh man. Like I, I just felt it every, my sixth sense, my seventh sense, my eighth sense was like, you know, like all your spidey sense like, was going off. Yeah. Like hardcore. And, and that's fine. So, you know, I was like, okay, I've, I've just chalked it up to nerves and a new thing and whatever. But very soon thereafter, I realized uh, this was going to be kind of brutal. And um, my two and a half year old is trying to get in right now. This is hilarious. She's like about to pick the lock. Um, so, <laughs> so um, life happens on the dad podcast. Yeah, man. I, I, I literally contemplated like, I mean, she's just going to just probably sit here. She's just going to hear and something is going on and uh, yes. it won't be the first child to interrupt. My youngest is interrupted twice on recordings. <laughs> um, so look, here, here's how it went down. I was working insane hours. I, and my daughter was born during our peak season of this brand new building's launch. So it was like, you know, blackout. No one could leave. It's November to, to the end of December to, you know, Christmas is blacked out. It's incredibly important for the building to do well, uh, for everyone to be on deck. There's tons of mandatory overtime. And as a manager, you know, I, I mean, I had to be there all the time as well, of course. And I was just working crazy hours. And then I was like, my daughter was born. I had my laptop at, in, the, in the delivery room. And, and I mean, like, it was crazy. And, and I was obsessed with making sure everything was okay at work. And I knew I was in a bad place. And maybe I was just trying to level out the emotions from having a child, which, you know, I mean, I never really felt like I was unprepared per se. But then, like, as it gets closer, you're like, oh, man, like, what if I screw this up? So... So I, shortly thereafter, I, I got promoted and then I went on to a night shift. My daughter's growing and growing and growing. And then next thing I know, you know, she's almost 18 months and I have like no relationship with her. Like it's, it was just terrible. It was awful. Uh, I, I was always focused on working, especially being on the night shift. I would get home and she'd still be sleeping before she went to daycare when she started going to daycare. And then when I would leave for work, you know, she'd still be at daycare. Like, so I've, I've, there were, dude, I've, I've, I don't think I've ever admitted this on a podcast before, but there was like two times where I cried at work. And I think it was the combination of anger and, and sadness and like depression or something because I knew I didn't have a relationship. But more importantly, on those two occasions, like I hadn't seen her for like two or three days. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm no longer in the military, right? Like I didn't have children while I was in. 
So my respect as a father now for people in the military who have to do the deployments and the roommates I had when we were in Afghanistan who were always looking at pictures of their kids and trying to FaceTime with an absolutely god-awful connection and all this other stuff. I get it now. Like, I don't like being away for, you know, 10 hours right now. But Mm -hmm. then, like, two or three days, like, I just didn't feel like that was okay. Like, there was nothing okay about that to me. So, um, so that was a huge, huge factor in, um, my behavioral changes at work. I started really not caring and, and it's almost like, and I don't think I've ever said this either. My behavior changed to the point where I was taking unnecessary risks, even though I was very high performing, I just didn't care. It was almost like I was trying to find a way to get busted for something by mm-hmm. leaving early, um, you know, leaving my shift an hour early because I'm like, they got it. I've trained them so well, they got it. But even though the ops manager should never leave, right? Little things like that. And, um, you know, and then it just got to a boiling point And then that was it. My wife's like, you're done. And I was scared and thrilled at the same time. Uh, I, I left and I would say almost immediately my relationship with my daughter actually began. Mm-hmm. How old was she then? Probably almost two? She was almost two. Uh, she was somewhere between a year and a half and two two years. And and things just started getting exciting and we started hanging out and she she's like, I know you. And I'm like, just watching her. And, and, and ever since then, it's been about just over a year now. It's It's just different. It's completely different. We actually have like a really phenomenal relationship and my wife hates it because whenever she acts out it's always when my wife is around i'm like she doesn't do that with me <laughs> you mm-hmm. know like i just she and i are like buds and and it's just fantastic so um i i would really highly encourage people out there who get out and maybe have been doing this and 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 they can't do anything about it you can't quit the marine corps you can't quit the navy or whatever but when you have the opportunity to actually prioritize your family i would say regardless of the location regardless of the pay cut you may take or whatever it may be you will be rich in in and and so wealthy with with love and and family if you if you really try and put that first and not worry about how am I going to, you know, I, I need a great job or I need to make this much. Dude, I, I downsized. I'm in, I wish you could see, I'm in a tiny apartment that's just enough room for my daughter, my wife, my dog and I, and we're eventually going to, you know, have to get an extra bedroom in another place uh, for the, for the other baby. But dude, I had a five bedroom, five bathroom house in Austin, Texas. I still have it and we're renting it out, but that's where I was with Amazon. and. You know, like, this is just as great. Like, I thought I needed to just prove something. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wanted to be like this hero dad, like, cool, I'm a retired Marine. And my wife was Army, by the way. So, you know, she always gives me hell for being a Marine. It's funny, but uh, I always win. Uh, but, uh, you know, like, I'm a retired Marine, MBA, I'm working at Amazon, making a ton of money, and I'm miserable. Like, it just doesn't, it does, it's, it's what would you rather be? Like, and mm-hmm. I've learned that I need so much less than I thought, and they are what I need more than anything. Did you find yourself always having a personality that was trying to prove to someone? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when you're in uh, aviation squadron, 
it's it's very much unlike you know uh, infantry squad or uh, infantry battalion or, or anything like or company or anything like that because you know as a captain you're a company commander there's a couple other companies like your peers your number of peers are very limited your responsibilities are enormous as a pilot you have enormous responsibilities as well of course but you're surrounded in a ready room with like 40 to 50 other of you <laughs> so yeah. the pressure to perform and not be you know tap gun on steroids yeah you know so it's you know you were just kind of happy to just be not on uh, not skylining yourself for the wrong reasons and you know, also, if you were performing at a very high level, then you moved very quickly into different qualifications. And that was a lot of stress, too. And look, I'll, I'll be the first one to say I was I was a mediocre pilot um, because I started seeing a lot of friends just leave to leave the world too early. And, and I just had this fear and, and anxiety because I didn't want to be responsible for endangering or killing anyone in my crew. Mm-hmm. It's just the way it is. Dude, this is crazy. You, you really hit the lottery tonight because I'm just letting it all out. That's, that's um, what makes podcasting gold right there. Yeah, man. Like, I've never said that. Uh, and, and it's because I'm just embarrassed to say it. Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, I absolutely put everything I could into it. But could I have done more? Could I have been a little bit calmer um, and, and less reluctant or scared yes but uh it just it just messes with you when you see um you know people who you have flown with or that you've been around every day just just disappear so uh so anyway the pr- the pressure's certainly been there and right now as an entrepreneur in this world that i'm in i feel less and less of that and i just feel the only pressure i feel is just to make sure that i'm myself and, and, and that's a good pressure because it yep. keeps me honest. I've probably for almost all my life, but more of the last 15 years, I've really pulled the onion back in that I have spent most of my life trying to be liked and accepted. Never had a lot of friends in almost every stage of my life. And even at work, I would just consistently put in a huge amount of effort to something, try to be the right person. And I literally can look back and to wait for there's moments where I was like, waiting for someone to walk up to me and say, Ben, I'm proud of you. And I didn't realize how much my, my personality was driven for those moments that never came. And it was this high and low of letdowns that I couldn't really put my finger on. And it was because I was looking for validation externally of myself. Yeah. hundred percent. When you, so I can imagine when you come home now that it's a completely different version of you than you did when you worked at Amazon. What is coming home for you look like right now when you hear the words come home? <laughs> it's, it's when I hear the words come home, it's actually, it starts when I pick my daughter up at daycare <laughs> just because my wife works nights uh, right now ish. And you know, we drop her off. We try to drop her off as a family. Even the dog, he loves this, you know, going to, going to drop her off with us. But come home is like the minute I get her again. And uh, just that, that kind of reaction, that hug, that light in her eyes. And I'm just so thrilled. And then I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, it, it's our time. And, and uh, you know, I try and get her tired, uh, of course you know, uh, 
for the rest of the evening because she always gets a second wind around 9.30 p.m., which drives me insane. But, um, you know, I just want to keep her occupied. And then, so it's she and I, I make sure we walk the dog, make her dinner, we do our thing. And then when my wife gets home, uh, that's really when it kind of comes full circle. And uh, the best thing, which is very rare, is when um, my wife's home, I'm home, dog's home, my daughter's home, and we're all on the bed. And we just have some random afternoon nap, which, of course, are always glorious. But those are very few and far between. But um, it just means everyone's safe and sound and just happy to be around each other. I mean, it's, it's, it's really as simple as that. I wish I could give you something more intricate and, and unbelievable, but it's, it's, it's that simple because everything you were just talking about, about looking for that, I'm proud of you and all that other stuff. Like, I just, I mean, I get it. I get it. And, uh, that happens from time to time now. And, and a lot of people message me about certain content and this and that, but, none of it is as good as that. I mean, it's just not. I mean, I, I never realized that being a father was going to be something I was, I, I don't know how to say this, I, I, something I would take so seriously. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I, th- I think you've hit a, a nail on the head there that with being enough that when you, and this is something that dads struggle with a lot. And that we don't recognize that to our kids, we're already a, a hero. Even on our worst day, it doesn't matter whether you just walked away and got fired. Yeah. <laughs> Your kids will still greet you as the same tall-eyed man that they look up to. And we're always enough for them, no matter how insecure or how much we're beaten down inside. And yep. it's a, a very good way to ground yourself in what really matters. And that no matter what's external of your family, when you come home, really, that's where you can validate that I'm accepted and I'm who I am and I'm already enough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the, the great equalizer, um, fatherhood and, and just being dedicated to your family. So yeah, I, I, I agree 100%. And I think when we, what a lot of veterans and active duty members get hung up on is they really put up a barrier between their kids and themselves. Like they're almost afraid to step into that role. Like it's literally, I think there's people that would rather fight uh, an enemy fighter jet than come <laughs> home and be dad sometimes because that seems less scary yeah. than trying to come home and deal with emotions almost or just deal with maybe insecurities in their own personality. And it's yeah. really that trick is when you when you switch to recognizing your kids are really the best chance you have to make an impact on this world and recognizing that they're your legacy and anything you do externally of your life is, is marginal compared to the impact that you can do by being a father. Like it's it's absolutely true. I, uh, I, I repeat often and it's perfect advice that Navy SEAL Andy Stump gave me on the podcast was that as a Navy SEAL, he was trained to be an effective fighting machine but the effectiveness that he was trained at was the limiting factor of how far his bullet could travel. (laughs) So all the training in the world to be a Navy SEAL, he could still only be as effective as far as a rifle could bullet could travel. But as a father, you can literally go into generations of effectiveness, like the amount of energy and focus and time you can literally change the next generation of your name and create an entire generation that remembers who you were by focusing on your kids. And that switch is where I think so many dads get hung up on that. 
that uh, we try to get, we, a lot of veterans get hung up on trying to figure out what their service meant and why, why things happened, who, why people died, why did I survive? But it's all facts. There's nothing you can do about it even if you do figure it out. But your kids are happening right now. They are your legacy that is not your service. Your kids are what they're going to remember. Yeah. I, I, I've, I've truly never thought of it at that, at that level. So that, uh, that literally makes me excited for whenever we wrap up so I can just be like, Hey, and just go, <laughs> just like go talk to her and then tell her she did a good job with the potty or whatever, you know, like something. But yeah, I mean, uh, I've, I've truly never thought of it at that. that kind and of even time. your daughter, like, uh, it's, it's really scary when you hold your first daughter because as I've, been in this space for so long, the one thing that I've really recognized is that as fathers, it's our job to provide the example for what they're going to look for. 100%. And it's our job to validate who they are. And in an Instagram world of 2019, I can't imagine what the world of 2030 will be when she graduates. And I often will remind my daughter that she's beautiful, that she's enough, that her opinion of herself is the only one that matters. Mm-hmm. And I'll often repeat in the podcast, uh, there was a book I read, Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And just giving your daughter a simple hug, that yeah. hug can lower the chance by 60% that they'll have sex by the age of 12. Oh my God. So Good to know. That just that simple validation from their father, if they don't get that, they will seek it from the first person that gives it to them. Wow. So you think of like any girl you've ever heard of talked about with daddy issues or anything like that a lot of that I believe is rooted in just not having that fatherly love invested in them in the early age. And they were always seeking that externally. And it would, everybody's heard a story of a girl with daddy issues. And I think it always ends in, in, in disaster because it's always based on the wrong foundation. It's yeah. never seeking validation on externally from something that normally should be something that father already introduced and validated from the inside out. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's times where I um, feel I almost feel like, do I really need to say, hey, pretty girl, how are you? And all this other, I mean, number one, it's it's natural to me. But two, I think subconsciously, I'm trying to just remind her that she's wonderful and you did such a good job and all these little things. And and there's times where I'm like, you know, I, I, I almost ask myself, is this excessive, you know, or am I just being a regular dad? And then I just realize like the fact that I'm questioning myself questioning myself means I don't need to be questioning myself <laughs> mm-hmm. that we're just overthinking it. And yeah, yeah. Just like, and I don't, especially once you, once they start getting into like elementary and they get into elementary girl drama and so much of, of our kids, my daughter's seven and very much of her world, she's already thinking like a teenager and she already has like teenager type problems and she's only seven. So like their world grows that much faster sooner and their awareness of the world happens sooner. And there's so many times that I, that I'll have to tell her something. And even with her brother, her brother will say something stupid to her and I'll be like, do you believe it to be true? And she's like, no, well, I'm like, I'm validating that your opinion of yourself is the only one that matters. And just those little tricks where something on the playground or anything like that, that whatever you view inside, that's the opinion that matters, not someone external view, because I suffered from it. So many people suffer from, especially with all the people trying to be liked and stuff was supposed to make you happy and you've got to have the keeping up with the Joneses and five bedroom houses in Austin that people can admire on Facebook and inside it's just a cavity of emptiness because and like that's not how you're going to live a fulfilled life so I always try to air back on and 
just, we used to, there was a great book called someday a bird will poop on you. And <laughs> it was a, just as the title says, and it was maybe like a 15 page book, but it walked you through it's anywhere in the world, somewhere a bird's getting pooping on someone. Yeah. And it could be the person who's having the most perfect day. You woke up and it was just sunshine and rainbows and unicorns are flying by, yeah. but a bird will still come by and poop on you. Sure. And you have to figure out how to respond to that. It's your choice. What happens when a bird poops on you? It's going to happen. It's matter. It's not a matter of if it's just a matter of when. And so we started talking something last year was called bird poop talk. So we would talk about all the little random things, birds that pooped under in the day, but really it was just kids yeah. and trying to just help her understand what that was like. And also, I, th- I don't know whether this will work, but I think it's happening is just creating a safe space for her to come tell me what's going on. Because yeah. later in life, she's, I want that to happen. And I, Want it to happen on the soft ones now so that she does feel safe to come to me and tell me what's really going on. And um, one thing that I've often thought that dads don't recognize the role that we play is there's so many things in the world that we, we want to shelter our kids from. And there's a certain reason to shelter them from. But at the same time, all of those things still exist. And we don't own the idea of being the first voice in their life to explain it to them whether it be sex, any of the things that people avoid these days, all of those things, the voice should come from us first before someone on the playground. They shouldn't hear, learn about something on the bus. And, we, and it's ultimately why things get so complicated sometimes because they never heard the true story from the first person that really is the one that matters, yours, and they let someone else define it and then they're cleaning up the mess. That's an interesting point because how much can you lead the turn, right? I I mean, it really, really depends. That's interesting because what if in your household, you're super straightforward, you're, you're arming her and let's just say our daughters are the same age and, and maybe, you know, she knows that if she comes to me with things that she's heard, I will elaborate and and describe them. But, um, you know, how, how, how much, in advance do I have to explain things in order for her to be prepared for the world? Because I, 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 I get that. And at the same time, I'm like, okay, um, maybe she's going to be the one <laughs> saying mm-hmm. stuff on the bus. And then those people are going to be going home and be like, Hey, what's this all about? And that father and mother is going to be like, what? Like who told you that? Why are you hearing that? So it's, I think it's, it's a balancing act, but there's, there's definitely a rope to walk there. And, but I think even just things like, Porn and sex is a very classic one that someone's going to tell them about it, even if they're yeah. 12 by the time they figure it out. Yeah. And it's going to be something that's generally a topic that's shameful and you don't feel comfortable talking to your parents. So in those particular cases where you know it's uncomfortable, you always want to be the one leading with that step. And we often Definitely. take the lacking courage in this case where we maybe step back and instead of talking to our daughter, we'll watch a football game as a dad. And that's what we just feel comfortable doing. And at the same time, there's so many, I honestly believe that so many of the problems in America today are just a breakdown of, of the role and a father and a mother playing their kids. And we just don't step into those roles that the, yeah. it's, no one talks about it, but it's definitely, I believe one of the core roots of the issue that it's the, the breakdown of fathers leading their kids. And it's, it's almost like 55% of kids grow up in a broken home these days. And there's no way that that doesn't have a negative result on society and how that culture grows to accept things. So let's go ahead and take a pivot from that conversation. What's the number one challenge you face as a dad today, besides being uh, stressed with 
welcoming your second child into the world in a little bit? Um, right now, my daughter's on this. I, and I mean, it, it just started, like, I, I think within the last 48 hours, we've <laughs> been saying, I can't. And there's a friend of mine who passed away in Afghanistan. Um, his name is Ryan Ionelli. And I did not know this before he, until he passed away, but we were at his eulogy, many different eulogies because he was just incredibly well-known and, and loved. Um, but he was a cancer survivor. And I was like, what? Like, how is that? I mean, you just never would have known. And he was extremely religious, but you never would have known. Like, it's all these different avenues about him. But I get it now. He was just an incredible human being. Like, everyone was magnetized to him for so many different reasons. And a lot of it was inexplicable. Well, anyway, at his eulogy, someone read how he was at Oral Roberts for, uh, he had a scholarship for baseball and then he found out about the cancer. And then they asked if, if, you know, if he wanted to stay on the team and all these other things and, you know, the treatment's going to be rough. And he goes, you know, can't is a choice. It's a choice, you know, and, and I just always think about that. And then he also said impossible is a choice as well. So like when she says I can't at two and a half years old, I mean, I know she's two and a half years old. I, I get it, right? Like, it's not the end of the world, but I am trying so hard. And, and the challenge is to just try and relay to her that everything up here in your mind is, is actually the reality, you know? <laughs> like, it, it's, it's a moment of weakness. And I'm like, okay, like, how do I not be like this hardcore, ridiculous dad right now and be like, don't say I can't, you know, I can't do that. And then I also can't find a good balance where I'm, I'm explaining it lovingly as yes, you can. Like it's just a choice. It's all in your head and whatever. And it's huge, huge moment. And, and I wouldn't, maybe it's not like an unbelievable challenge, but it's a huge moment where I know the example and how I deal with that and her starting to say, um, you know, things of that nature. It's, it's just so crucial to her development that I handle it the right way, you know? So, uh, I wouldn't say it's pressure. I just want to make sure I find the right piece to help her mind grow at a very early age, uh, very much along the lines with the things that you were, were talking about that her, you know, she is the thinker of her own thoughts, you know, and, and I want her to know that. And I, <laughs> I just, I kind of wish we could have a, she and I could have like a deeper, more intellectual conversation about it, but I just have to try and uh, break it down in a way that she hears the same response from me every time that she says I can't. And you're, you're planting seeds in a garden that later will grow. So a lot of what you do now is more just like a, a long-term chemistry experiment that just means to, you're doing a lot of mixing and trying and you're hoping you get it right. But like every day as a dad, you really don't know what tomorrow will bring and you're not prepared for it. But as a dad, you just get really good at making it up sometimes. Sure. And how, how old does your daughter seem like? So if she's two, how old does she really act like intelligent wise? She's um, like two going on five, two going on seven. I would say she's, she's almost three. She's, I, I don't know. That's a really good question. I, I, 
probably like just not not too far like three going on four she's in my mind she she really understands a lot of things because mine was going on three going on like seven and (laughs) i remember sitting in the she was in the back car seat and we had a a ford escape and i want to say she was pregnant with my youngest i think and uh so we had two car seats in the car and my daughter who's no more than three or four at the time she's like where's where am i gonna no no it's even worse where am where's mommy going to sit when i start driving oh wow i'm like what the f yeah yeah, yeah. you're slow down you're four years old yep it's not even the reason i was asking was the one thing that my daughter when she was five she went through kind of a similar stage with uh dance class where she was going to these classes and she was the youngest and she was often not as good as the others and she was just beating herself up and the one tool and i think this is also how we can reutilize if uh we have PTSD or any of these very traumatic growth areas that we just grew up really quickly in a very short amount of time that uh, stories of our own life are often vehicles to help. Like the story I told my daughter was when you were born, daddy knew nothing. You were, I had literally no idea what to do with you. (laughs) And every day I just had to keep going and I couldn't say I can't do it because you were still there. And I had to keep going. And so I used those stories to say, like, you just got to keep going. And you're trying to figure out how to be five. I'm still trying to figure out how to be 34. And there was another analogy that I I haven't had a chance to use yet, but uh, I just started trying to uh, defeat my fear of running. So Marine Corps, I was never a good runner. So I just cursed it in my head that I suck at running. That's something repeated in my head over and over. And I've always heard from uh, Carol, Carol Duet's book, Growth Mindset, of this idea and try to reframe everything. But someone gave me a brilliant way to say it that really take whatever you're saying I can't and just change it to not yet. Mm. So I'm not a good runner yet. And so every time I'm training, I'm just thinking myself, I'm not a good runner yet. And I can do work to get there. And it's not a matter. Cause when you say I can't, it's almost like there's literally a wall, but it's invisible and your mind won't let you walk through it. I I know uh, that's funny because you said you're 34 and you're going to use that, but Maybe if she says, uh, you know, I can't, you know, when she's potty training and she's like, I, she was saying, I can't, she can't take her pants off her by herself. I'm like, you know, not yet. Like I literally am going to try the same experiment and I will let you know how it goes and see who does what first. <laughs> I've been, I've noticed in different, like we were jumping in the pool a couple of times, uh, I think last year and my daughter was maybe six. So she'd be like, daddy, do you believe in me? And I was like, I feel like this is one of those moments, like she's never really said this. And I said, yes. And then I often will reuse it. I'm like, daddy believes in you. You can do it. And it like, that was a, a test almost for the moment. Like, am I going to breathe life into courage into her to make her know that she can do more than what she thinks she can. Yeah. And I was just glad that I was aware of it and didn't react in some different way. But uh, yeah. there are micro moments where they look for that, like permission almost. But in this case, when they're that young, they're really not that into it. But uh, yeah. But when they start running into those walls and they start trying to do stuff, riding the bike's kind of like that first classic of they have to get fall, they have to get back up, they have to keep trying. And they and one of the things you'll notice when you have your second child is it does get easier. And this is one of the best lessons I've learned for life coaching and why it works. That your kids start learning faster because they're watching someone ahead of them. <laughs> and that's what generally the, the coaching industry uses. Like you really just want to coach that's ahead of you. So that way you can shortcut it. 
that's what your kids are doing. They'll do everything faster because they're watching someone. So like the second one isn't as fast, but the third one, they are just in a big damn hurry to grow up. They're, they can't grow up fast enough when you have three. It's yeah. just like, my daughter, I bet she will, if, well, maybe I think if I tried, I probably could, but she just started riding a 12 inch bike and she's barely big enough for it, but her sister is. So she's just been itching to get on it. And she's got training wheels and my son just took his training wheels off and he's going to turn five. And I'm wow. almost positive. Like by the end of this year or right at the beginning of spring, I'll take them off and my youngest will be riding without training wheels much earlier. My daughter, my oldest probably didn't do it till, uh, it was like, after kindergarten. So like just the amount of shortcutting learning ride a bike because they've watched someone in front of them. I want so, to tie that to transitioning service members. And and here's why. I'm obsessed with trying to help people transition successfully, but my issues with TRS Soldier for Life and all these other things and and when I call and like please let me teach LinkedIn please like look like I got that thing. I've made all the mistakes. Like it's new for me. But, you know, if I'm a transitioning service member, whether it's a Mustang, whether it's another officer, whether it's a sergeant or whoever, like, I, I get it. I'm not, I'm not incredibly far removed from that where I'm, like, completely oblivious to your current day challenges and your attention span and all. Like, I, I get it. But, and, you know, like, some of these more seasoned folks, I should say, you know, who are teaching these, like, dude, like, you're not on there. You're not, you're not doing these things. Like, this is literally just presenting information that fits a certain curriculum or criteria or whatever. And that's why the game is changing in a way. And that's why what you're saying makes complete sense. Like, if, if you, if you were getting out tomorrow and we connected I would be far a far better resource for you and help you avoid all these potholes than someone 20 years removed from the Marine Corps. Like it's mm-hmm. just the way it is. Right. So like, it's just so interesting that you talk about it, you know, when we're talking about children, but how those same ideas conceptually make sense at this age, but people like forget because yeah they want to be the one to like try and impart this information. Like there's certainly just knowing your role and, and, and this is not to degrade anyone out there volunteering their time to help transitioning service members. That's not what this is. It's, do you have the self-awareness to realize that there might be someone who's going to be more effective than you? That's someone who's going to be more engaging than you. That's someone who's closer to that, you know, huge chapter in your life that's about to come up who's actually living the life you want even like finding those types of people so it's just it's just funny you immediately brought me there but i i can certainly see how that's you know i'm I'm certain that's going to be the way it is when my when he or she comes into this world uh they'll probably be pretty quick to to pick up some things from from ali and i was just telling you before we hit record about the uh, the marine that killed himself And we really dove into his personality. And this is something I think many veterans face, especially the ones that I believe he was, no, he wasn't, I think, you know, he was infantry. These ones that they get the default military complex of poster board. And his wife described that he would often say that he was the Hulk's and he was the Hulk's alter ego. And so like he was, he was very cocky. It was one of the reasons why she found him attractive or no, she didn't find him attractive, but or she didn't like his cockiness, but she was, he was very attractive yeah. and he just got so hung up on trying to 
have his ego on so strong that no one really saw the person that was dying inside. And at the very end in his suicide note, he admitted, he just felt like a failure as a husband, a father, every relationship in in his life, he just classified as a failure. And he was reaching out to certain people, but people weren't taking him seriously. And, and he wasn't talking to her about it. And he was, he was so afraid to just admit that he didn't have it all together. And I think that's, I often, I remember my very first podcast interview I did. I didn't even have any of these ideas in my head at the time. And one of the very first things I said when you transition, your ego's got to be the first thing to go off because it will be the one thing that is your is almost not even a, a hand grenade. It's a claymore. Yeah, it will yeah. just shred you to pieces Absolutely. because you're not going to be wanting to be helped. Your people aren't going to want to help you. You're going to push the people away and you're going to get so alone that you eventually have this voice inside your head that comes to the only conclusion that you can, that your family would be better without you. And it's the, and which is why I've, I started this podcast is to get dads to from that moment to any moment in that process of being a dad to just wake up and turn the ego off and cry or talk to someone, whatever it is, whatever you're feeling, just feel that because that's the thing that prevents us from transition the most, I think. And I'm sure you see it even for people that are trying to transition or maybe trying to do it differently. Like you can't go at it thinking you know it all because oh. people don't like that. But that's what the military complex, like, you have to know it all. Because if you don't, someone's going to die. But on the other side, no one, it doesn't really work that way. And it's... It is a visceral experience um, if you are not able to really train your mind to just go to a different place. And and like you said, like, leave the ego aside. Because uh, I don't want to say it's a rude awakening, but what I really, when I'm, when I'm super honest with people who want to hop on a call, I'm like, no one cares what you did. Mm-hmm. Like, just, you just have to pretend no one cares what you did. And, 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 and the more you say, well, when I was in the Marines or when I was in the army, this, like, that's a, more of a red flag that you're having difficulty assimilating, like appreciate your service. Don't forget about your service, but focus on, on the present and not, that you left your tribe behind, that you you lost your identity. Like transitioning is all about establishing your next identity. It's not about the job offer. It's not about who you work for. It's not about a certain amount of money. It's it's, it's none of those things. It's it's a new chapter. And the camaraderie, the danger, the mission, uh, you know, the patriotism, like it's just not something that you can duplicate on the outside. And the more effort you try and circle the wagons, you know, of those people who don't know anything about you to to just let them know, like, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it, it, in a way, like, again, it it goes into your ego. Like, why don't these people care? Mm -hmm. You know, now, now I feel like, you know, I'm wrong for my service almost, right? Like maybe I would have been better off just doing this shit, excuse my language, sorry, but like, so I could, you know, just have fit in because whatever, but you know what, how you have to look at it is this, like whatever service you're in, you go to multiple different types of training. Okay. Like, you know, like whether it's an NCO course or TBS or whatever, same thing. Like if you kind of take that approach where you all got to get through it together and you are not wildly different than everyone else and you don't play those mind games with yourself and you don't over invest in, you know, the people's 
titles and positions ahead of you. And it will probably be smoother. But the, the most realistic advice I try to give everyone is like, no one cares. No one cares. Just prove your value now. Use what you got. And like you said, no one asked for help. Like, ask for help. Like, you would be so surprised at the amount of people that are actually incredibly helpful. And maybe they're feeling just as dejected as you because no one asked them for help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, but anyway, we could get into this whole crazy thing. But, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, you know, when you started mention, mentioning the training wheels and, and the learning curve and all that kind of stuff, it's just right. It brought me right there. And it's the same thing with dadhood that you're at one season of your life. I'm at another. There's things that I know that you don't. Yeah. And there's the most fundamental part of dadhood that is, is completely missing almost from our society today is, 100 for 3000 years if not more men raised men in tribes period we did life in tribes we were a tribal people for 3000 years there was nothing about that that was on our own you hunted together you raised your kids together everything was about togetherness and community yeah. in the last 100 in the industrial revolution we really thought we could get it differently that dad started going to work and our kids started going to school and we just don't have this community to grow as, and as dads to share these lessons anymore. It's you're almost, there's almost this stoic uh, face applied to you that you can't ask for help as a dad. You need to have it together and you can't have your emotions. But in reality, those are the one thing that leave you the most emptiest is when you don't aren't able to talk about what you're feeling. And I often equate that the Marine Corps taught me this lesson perfectly in the Marine Corps. You probably know this, that your back is the first thing they sacrifice. And it's generally because if you don't, if you can't lift it, that means you don't have enough Marines trying. It's not that you don't have a forklift. No, you just need 50 people to try to lift this thing. And yeah. it's the same thing in life. You aren't meant to lift everything that life gives you. No. Nothing about our society ingrains that is a culture or a mindset. And we are meant to do life together in a tribe to learn together, to, to talk about what's really going on, to compare notes. And as a military community, we absolutely suck at it because yeah, yeah. On, the, on the spouse side, I think they've, social media has really connected them in a way that they were never before 10 years ago. 100%. On the military dad side or even anywhere on the male side of the military, it's as broken as it's ever been in the, in the history of time. And um, that was one of the reasons when I started this podcast, I knew that this was a space that needed someone to come in with glue to hold it together and to, to create a new conversation to start changing this tide and make dads wake up to the legacy we can have the impact for. And I'm glad you did, man. I mean, uh, I, you know, everyone always says <laughs> when it comes to your, your business or your side hustle or whatever, like what problem are you, are you solving? And, and I mean, you, you've literally just explained it and uh, you know, there's, there's certainly fragmentation here and uh, for someone to take the lead on it is, is very admirable, man. And uh, you know, I, I appreciate it. I'm glad I'm even on right now. The, uh, you, that question you always ask, everybody always asks me that, like uh, what's the, what, what's, what was the purpose of my business? And, I often don't have the full onion peel back yet, but like right now, my favorite answer is I'm the friend that I wish I had five years ago. I uh-huh. uh, my, like the one thing I give for free and I don't sell it is friendship. I'm the friend that I, I'm always got an ear. 
I pretty much have a link everywhere I go that people can schedule time to talk to me in my commute, which is how we were talking because I talk to everybody and I'm always just trying to to have an ear and understand because I didn't have that. When I turned 30, my midlife crisis was dying and having nobody say nice things for me because I didn't have anybody in my life at that point. And so I reflect back and I essentially the whole business is almost focused back on myself of like, what did I really need five years ago as a military dad and just trying to be that person now. And I knew when I was talking to you on the phone that I was like, I got to have him on the podcast and this guy's going to tell some good stories. I appreciate it. So as we wrap up here, what's a problem that you think you've wrapped your head around and what's the solution that you use to solve it? Um, really very, very good question. And my daughter is, uh, and then, you know, maybe this is very common, maybe not, but my daughter is very standoffish. Um, and I used to think that was an issue. It seems like she's standoffish. And I used to be like, is she, is she going to be socially awkward? Like, come on, man. Like what's going on here? You know, I'm, 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 I like to think of myself as kind of outgoing extroverted (laughs) and you know what? I'm not, uh, I love this one-on-one all day interviews all day, zoom calls all day groups. Get me out of there. Like I, I just can't handle it, man. Like, uh, like networking events, you know how incredibly valuable they are for businesses? Yeah, um, I can't do it. I don't like handing cards out. I don't like getting cards, any of that stuff. And I didn't realize it until I saw her. What she does in, in those situations is she just observes. You know, she's just observing. She's not, she's not sad. She's not angry. She's not, uh, you know, like, get me out of here. She's just literally... It's like, you know, like orienting herself and just saying, okay. And I think what she's doing is what I do as an adult, which it's funny. Like I literally didn't realize this uh, um, had it not been for her. Until you had a mirror walking around talking back at you. (laughs) (coughs) Excuse me. And that is simply, she's trying to make conscious choices of who she wants to be around why she wants to be around. And I, I absolutely believe this. This is, this is I, I don't think this is just like, you know, dude, she's just being a kid. Like, no, I actually truly believe that she is evaluating and orienting and, and just making decisions. And, you know, it's, it's funny. Like I didn't solve the problem for her. She solved it for me. <laughs> so like, it's, it's, it's just a really interesting coincidence. And you know what? The people I see her around um, or the kids I see her around and the ones she gravitates to, they're balanced. And I mean, you know, I mean, look, kids, kids, you know, I, I, an imbalanced kid, so to speak, right now could be the next president of the United States, you know, yeah. however, you know, you know, you don't know. But I, I am starting to see that she certainly has her preferences, that she certainly, um, is also just to add on to it she is able to self soothe and and just to just be alone which is crazy is she self soothing at the door for you i can kind of hear that doorknob knocking back and forth my my dog man he's just (laughs) making his name is poncho and he sleeps on a poncho liner it's amazing 
uh, he's he's re- literally digging at it right now as if it's going to get in some perfect position for him. <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, she she sells Sue's. But many times when I go to pick her up and, and you know, it's, it's come home time for me or, uh, you know, I'll go pick her up and I'll look in the room before I, I go in. And she's just like doing her thing alone, even if there's a couple other kids around. And that doesn't concern me at all. You know, normally that would. I'd be like, why is she talking to those kids? Like the fact that she's able to entertain herself and she has an imagination and all these different things. Uh, it's interesting. So, so to answer your question, to to really come full circle with that is, I have realized like she is who she is. You know, like I certainly have parental duties. I certainly have positivity that I need to make sure I instill. I certainly have encouragement that needs to be constant and effective. And at the same time, I do not need to influence what she does at every given moment. And, and that she is developing her own beautiful mind on her own. Mm-hmm. And all those times that I'm not there, you know, or that her mother's not there, or I'm not there. Like she's, she's already working on those skills, you know, and it's just crazy to me <laughs> to even have this conversation because, you know, two years ago I was just like, um, yeah. Those are just the notes she's took in the last six months since you've been, or the last year since you've been around that she started to figure out. You know, and, and, and it's, um, it's the, the, the solution is simply to, there's certainly an, uh, an amount of, you know, leash that they should and could have, could and should have. And, um, and I, I'm fascinated by, by what she has to offer and what she teaches me. I'm often amazed of, it's almost, and it's, it's like, if you're a good example is when your kids are stubborn. It's, it's amazing of how like they are like you, just what you said, they mirror back your flaws. Like, and it's funny because you'll get, you'll get, you'll go from zero to 10 over something. <laughs> and at the root of it is really, you just don't want to admit your own insecurities that somehow they're reflecting back. And it's really your problem that it's irritating. And they're just pushing your buttons because they figured out what makes you upset when they push the buttons. And really it's almost like if you really want to figure out some of your own internal insecurities, your kids are reflecting back often or pushing those buttons in ways are those the areas that you needed to, to work the most. And I going back a little bit further where you were actually afraid to talk to people. I've, uh, I resonate with that a lot because it's actually, so my best transition advice isn't a book. It's not a mentor. It's exactly the kryptonite for you. And so for me, I, every person I talk to, even on a call or zoom call, I can do them, but they've always been a little bit scary. But every person, even a dad at the park, every person was the high school girl that was going to say no. Mm-hmm. That rejection, like, just put me paralysis. I would just not do anything. And as I eventually got to the one day, someone asked me the question, if you want a result in your life you've never had, you need to do something you've never done. And that was talking to people because I never had friends. I was like, okay, you got to talk to people who have friends. It makes sense. Okay, so then I went to the park and then there was dads there that I always thought they just wanted to play with their kids. And then one day I reached it and I was like, it's enough. And I said, screw it. And I said, hello. And my favorite question to open up to dad is how old is your kid? It almost works perfectly to just go on forever because it opens the door. They don't even really realize what's going on. It kind of hacks the door open with a pick lock and you start talking and you realize he did want to talk as much, but no one was willing to go first. And, and that slowly transcended to talking more and more people. And now my favorite advice is to talk to strangers. And I often wish the best thing they could do to transition people out of military is take us to a networking event with an objective 
a clear outcome and somehow to measure it and to just talk to strangers and it till the point we're blue in the face yeah. because what I've learned in the last six months of this or eight, eight months now with the business is you can't move almost any aspect of your life forward unless you can talk to people. Like there are so many people within seven degrees of separation that can literally change your life. Correct. None of them can help you unless you talk to them. Correct. And so you being afraid of a networking event, there is some portion of your life that has lid because you have a fear of talking to people. Imagine like if the Marine Corps or the military transitioned us out with that fear removed. I'm like, just think of the potential that the military people come out with. And if they didn't have a fear of talking to people, what that potential could do in the world. I mean, so much of it is just, it's limited because we do come out and we're afraid to talk to people because we don't really know how to be ourselves. I'm, I'm going to shamelessly steal some of that uh, next time. I Fine, it, repeat it as much as possible because I honestly believe it's the only reason why I'm here. And it's, it's very freeing when you get more comfortable talking to people because you can feel little microchasms of moments of your life moving forward. And sometimes you can shortcut miles off your life. Sometimes you can, it's crazy how it works when you just start talking to people and the craziest one. So I was on my way to New Orleans this year and I was on a plane from Chicago to New Orleans. And then prior to loading it, I was waiting to board. And there was a guy, he kind of looked like he was from downtown. I was kind of spotted him. So he looked a bit odd. But um, we get on the plane and apparently United had given him a ticketed ticket for someone else's seat. So okay. somehow they double issued the same ticket yeah. and I had an empty seat next to me. So you think of the serendipity that's happening here. And he was sitting somewhere else. He got kicked up and he came back by me, he sat down. Normally I would have just let that go and I would just sat there and done my thing. And now I say, screw that, I'm gonna talk to him. Turns out he was a Marine officer and he was works at Capital One Commercial Banking downtown Chicago, and we talked for the entire plane ride. It was three hours long. Yeah. I have no idea. I've never talked to him again. Never reached yeah. out to him. I gave him a business oh, card, man. and that was it. And but just like the amount of serendipity that life can like literally, I would have sat next to someone like that. That I maybe he was someone, but if he wasn't, maybe he died. Maybe I did do something for him. I have no idea. But like the odds of sitting next to a Marine officer randomly after he got kicked out of his own seat, I would have completely missed that opportunity. 100%. 100%. Yeah. And you never know what those layers of your life adding those different perspectives will do. And we often don't expose us ourselves to enough perspective these days to get the full view of what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I would say, and, and I definitely need to wrap up uh, as well. And, uh, but uh, one thing I've learned is we are far more connected with each other than we think. Like, mm-hmm to get that idea out like there's so much so many commonalities uh, that exist and and they don't need to be big overarching ones but uh you know it's it's you're right and you will never find out unless you just literally open your mouth and just say something you are always one conversation away from something coming amazing coming to your life and you're gonna miss 100 percent of those shots you don't take yeah oh yeah even this interview, like that we have no idea what this is going to do, but me reaching out, randomly putting it out there, that it happens yeah, weekly. It. And then you just gotta keep I'm in what I call dory mode. I just gotta keep swimming and I never know where I'm gonna get, but I just gotta keep going. Totally. totally. Well, Rich, I absolutely love this interview. It was just as good as I imagined. We had a very good conversation. We covered a lot of different areas. Is there any parting pieces of advice you want to leave for military dads? Um, for military fathers, uh I, I think I, I mentioned it, but it's worth repeating. And that is when you choose your family, 
when you have the ability to choose your family, I'm not saying you don't while you're serving, uh, but if you have the ability to choose your family on the outside, I think if you lead with that and you create an atmosphere which where you are pure and you are happy at home, no matter uh, how much money you make, no matter where you live, no matter uh, you know what part of the country you're in, whatever it may be, if that is the source of your livelihood and your, and your purpose, then I truly believe that everything else will start coming as well. And, and by that, I mean, if you invest in your family and you make sure that you are the best version of yourself for them and that you're helping them in any way you can, and that they're trying to be the best, the best versions of themselves for you, that is just going to create this kind of just impenetrable mindset where some of the things that you didn't think you could do, whether it's in the civilian world or, or job industry that you're reluctant to join, whatever it may be, all that's just going to kind of dissipate because you're always going to be able to come home, you know, just kind of like your question. Mm-hmm. As long as you could come home, nothing else matters. <laughs> no matter how far you fall, yeah. you'll still have what matters. Totally. Well, Rich, I, like I said, I really appreciate this interview. If people want to reach out to you, is, where's the best place to reach out to you? Uh, you can find, uh, you go to my website, richcardonamedia.com. If you want to see a little bit what I, about what I do in my media company, uh, I really, really love more than anything to collect, uh, connect on LinkedIn. Um, actually, this is my, I'll last. make sure I include a link to that in the show notes for yeah, people. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, Rich Cardona on LinkedIn. I have right now I have Rich Cardona, your storyteller, because that's part of my business. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, and then uh, there's a calendar link in my YouTube, or I'm sorry, in my YouTube, in my LinkedIn summary. So if you ever want to call, just like, God, like, just like you were talking about, just like, let's have a conversation. Uh, please schedule a call. Um, and I will be happy whether you are a father, uh, whether you're transitioning, whether you have questions about getting an MBA, whether you have questions about social media, it doesn't matter what it is. Uh, I'm here to help and happy to serve. Well, Rich, you have a great night and I really appreciate you coming on tonight. Thank you, brother. That's a wrap. And thank you for listening to today's show. And I really hope you enjoyed it. The lifeblood of any new podcast are the reviews. If you haven't reviewed the podcast yet in iTunes, I would really appreciate it and you will help us get the message out to even more military veteran dads. As John Maxwell says, if there is hope in the future, there is power in the present. Dads, it's time to come home.